Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, we are uh, now wrapping up uh, this week and next our series on 1 Peter. And one of the things we've seen in this book is that in the midst of a hostile world, in the, in the midst of difficulty and challenges, that we can have the grace to stand in the midst of it. And Peter writes this letter to believers in Asia Minor, and he writes to them to encourage them in the midst of the fiery ordeal that they're going on, that they have grace available to them to stand in the midst of opposition. Uh, Peter summarized his whole letter, we've seen this every week, in 1 Peter 5.12 when he said, this is, referring to the things he had taught, the true grace of God that you would stand firm in it. And I believe that God preserved this letter for us so that you and I would know the grace that God has extended to us as well, that we would be able to stand firm in the midst of hostile territory. And uh, so we are going to be looking at another installment of that today from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Before we get to those verses, I want to just pray for us. Father, thank you so much for just the, the privilege of worshiping you, the privilege of worshiping you together in community here. Father, thank you for just what you're doing in Latvia. Thank you for what you're doing in Norman. Thank you for what you're doing in this room and the hearts and the lives of people. And Father, I pray today that as we gather, as we lift up the name of Christ, as we open your word, that you would, would, would open up our eyes and you would open up our minds so that we would understand the message that you have for us today. And Father, I pray that today that all of us would learn from you and your word, including me, and I pray that your spirit would just teach us and impress upon us your truth. Pray that you would, you would guide me in what I say, Father, and that I would share the things that you would want us to hear. But Father, if I do say something that, that you wouldn't want us to hear, I pray that it would just quickly be forgotten. But any words that I share today that are your words and your truth, I pray that we would remember them, we would believe them, we'd walk forward in them in the power of your Spirit, we might be shaped more into the image of your Son. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I grew up playing a lot of sports. Some of you who know me know this. Basically, if there were rules and a winner, I wanted to play that game uh, growing up. And so I played a number of different sports. And, and sports were both fun for me, but they also were instructive. I learned a lot about life by playing sports. And one of the things that I learned about life by playing sports is the importance of leadership. But not just leadership in general, but leadership in specific situations. See, I was, was blessed to be born at the right time in our town, and there were some pretty good basketball teams in our city in those days. And I remember as a junior playing on a very good basketball team, and we were, we were going uh, to play our first game, and we, we, we'd played our, some games at home, but we had not played any games on the road. Now, it's not as important to have leadership when you're playing at home or leadership when you're up 20, but it's important to have leadership on your team when you're down 20 or you're playing on the road. I remember being uh, at Broken Arrow High School, and, and it was kind of this hostile environment, and they were not happy that we were there, and they were yelling at us. And I get in the game for the first time as a junior. My eyes are like saucers. I remember looking up, and there was Mike, and there was Tommy, and there was Ricky, and there was Aaron. There were these senior guys who basically told me to get with it because we had a job to do. 
Um, and I appreciated their leadership in the midst of that hostile environment. We didn't need them at home, but boy, you needed that leadership on the road. You know, we know that from sports. We also know this from, from history. Think about the presidents that you know. And I don't mean the presidents that have served as leaders of our country during your lifetime. I mean those who served before you were born. Why do you know something about them? Well, probably you know something about them because there was a, some hostility in the era in which they led. There was a challenge. There was a difficulty. They led the country through some, some, some big deal, a civil war, a, the birth of a nation. And because of those things, you, you know who they are. Leadership is important in hostile territory. You think about how many leaders of, of England that you know. Well, you might know one or two, again, from your lifetime, but, but think about over the course of history. You might only be able to name English leaders on one hand, but probably one that you could name is Winston Churchill. Why is that? Because Churchill led in a, in a difficult time. See, in difficult times, leadership is important. This is true in sports. It's true in history. It's also true in the church. When difficult times, when difficult seasons, when, when persecution comes, when the gospel is opposed, it's at those moments that leadership in the church is so important. And it's in that environment that Peter writes this letter. We've seen throughout our series that it was a, a difficult time. It was a difficult era. It was hostile territory for Christians. Nero was rounding up Christians to, to persecute them for their faith. The tide had turned against Christianity, and persecution and a fiery ordeal had come. And it was in that hostile territory, that road game that the church was playing, that it was so important that the church had leaders. One of the ways in which the grace of God comes to believers in Jesus Christ is, is through their leaders. We see that in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. So if you've got a Bible, grab and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. In these first five verses, Peter begins to conclude his letter, and he concludes his letter describing to us the true grace of God that gives us the grit to stand, and he wants to talk about the leaders who will lead the church. Now, I have to admit before we read these verses that this is somewhat of an awkward message for me to preach, and that I am a leader in a church. And this passage is directed to me. So I want you to know that this, though this is always true, it's especially true in this instance, that I'm first preaching to myself today. I'm reading this passage to myself. I'm, I'm reading it to the other elders and, and staff people who are in this room, the other leaders of ministry in this room. I'm reading this to us while all of us take it in. But I believe that there's application for everyone today as we look at the grace God gives through leaders in hostile territory. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, says this. Peter writes and says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading 
crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. In these five verses today, we're going to see a couple of things about leaders that God graciously gives to His church. First thing we see is this. Hostile lands require humble leaders. Hostile lands require humble leaders. Again, we've seen that the land in which the recipients of this letter lived was hostile to Christianity. And it was important for them to have leaders in their church who were humble and who were following God. Peter writes about this, and he begins in 5.1 and talks about the elders. He says, I exhort the elders among you. Now, I want to point out a few things about that phrasing. First of all, I think it's important to see that it's in the plural. He exhorts the elders, not the elder. He's talking about a number of them. Leadership in the local church in the first century, the very first gathering of Christians, were not led by celebrities. They were not led by a single superstar. It wasn't led by a pope. It was led by a multiplicity of leaders who were leading the local church in Asia Minor. Peter writes, and he exhorts them as elders, a plurality. And he writes to them, and these were were elders. He called them elder. Now, why did he use that term? Why did he call them an elder? It's, it's a term that's also used elsewhere in the New Testament in, in reference to these folks. Why were the leaders of the local church called elders? Well, I think partly because they, they were old. Um, they were not young in their faith. We don't know how... What, hey, really, think about this. What, what is old and what is young? It's all relative, right? You know this because it's always sliding. Young is how old you are. Old is everybody older than you. Um, that's the way it works, right? Um, and so in the, in, the, in the first century, he writes and he talks about the elders. And I think he what, didn't so much have an age in mind as much as he had a maturity in Christ in mind. There's no way to microwave your spiritual life. There's no way to, to get there faster than, than life will allow. And Peter writes to say, hey, the, those among you who have walked with God for a long time and are now exhibiting leadership in the church, I, I'm going to talk to them for a moment a multiplicity of mature followers of Christ. He says that this group of of leaders was among them. The church in Asia Minor wasn't led by a group of men who lived in Jerusalem. It was led by people that were among them. It wasn't led by people they didn't know. It was led by people that were among them, people they knew. The New Testament church, the the first church, the church of the first century was led by a multiplicity of mature followers of Christ who were living locally in the setting where the church was. Peter writes to them, and he he refers to them, he says, I write to you as a fellow elder. Now, I think that's, that's fascinating that Peter calls himself a fellow elder here. Because if there was anybody who could scoreboard, if there was anybody who could big-time other people in the first century as it related to Christian leadership, it was Peter, right? I mean, he was the guy. He was with Jesus from the beginning. And we know that because in in the Bible, Peter's always talking. Peter's mouth is open all the time. Every time there's a story about Jesus, Peter had to get his two cents in, right? 
Peter was there from the beginning. He was verbose. He was eloquent. He was the one that spoke at Pentecost. If there was ever someone who could scoreboard, who could big time, who could say, hey, I'm going to write to you as the main guy. I'm going to write to you as the Pope of all Christianity. It would have been Peter. As a matter of fact, later generations look back at Peter and we, they call him that, don't they? And yet, how does Peter relate to other leaders in the first century? He relates to them not as someone over them. He relates to them as someone beside them. He says, I, I exhort you, I come alongside you as a fellow elder. And he says, he's a witness of the sufferings of Christ, a, a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. What Peter was saying there is he says, hey, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm a fellow elder, and you're being persecuted, I'm being persecuted because of Christ. You have a hope of one day being with, with God in, in, in heaven and, and being glorified with Jesus one day, and I have that same hope. Peter didn't say, hey, guess what? I'm going to be at the pearly gates like every joke will ever tell you, and everybody else will be just, you know, out among the masses. Peter didn't say that. He says, the same suffering in this life I'm experiencing, the same hope for eternity I'm experiencing. He was a fellow elder. Peter writes to them and says that the church of the first century is led by a multiplicity of mature followers of Christ living in a local area and that they're all on the same plane. There's no hierarchy of value. Now, I think it's important at this point for, for me to hit pause on 1 Peter 5 because I think there's some things in 1 Peter 5 that have instructed the way that Wildwood has constructed our church governance. Now, you may have been around Wildwood for a few weeks. You may have been around Wildwood for a few years. You may have been around Wildwood for a few decades, but it's possible that, that many of us in this room aren't aware of the way that God has graciously given Wildwood leaders and how we're constructed to follow Christ as a church. Wildwood, just like this passage tells us, is led by elders. It's led by a multiplicity of elders. You see a, a picture up, up here. There are, there are 10 men who serve as elders at Wildwood. Uh, almost all of them are up there. Jeff Frederick is, is not up there. I told Jeff, you're not on the picture, but you're, gonna, you're the only guy that's going to get named. So uh, we, we, we have 10 men who, who serve in this capacity. There are, are, are two of us who are on staff who are paid. That's Bruce and myself. And then there are eight lay people who help provide leadership to Wildwood. They help serve as elders of the church. And, and one of the things that I, I love about this group of guys, I'm going to take myself, I told you it would be awkward for me to talk about this. I'm going to take myself and set myself aside for a moment. And I can just tell you that this is a group of men that is such a blessing to us as a, as a, as a body here. It is wonderful to be able to serve with them. Um, there are people that are not new in their faith. They've walked with God for a long time. They've been around Wildwood for a long time. I was thinking about this just as I was getting ready to come up this morning. You know, well over 100 years of experience in, in ministry here just at Wildwood represented by these guys. What a blessing to have a stability of, of leadership this way. We have a multiplicity of, of elders here at Wildwood. And we, we don't just have a multiplicity of, of elders. These are not just some people that are out there. They're not just hired guns. They're not just friends around the country that we've, we've thrown together on some kind of a board. These are people who are among us. You, you, know, you no doubt see some faces up there you recognize because this is a group of people who are among us. Like I said, eight of the, uh, of the ten are, are, are lay people. One of the things that we have with our elder board is they serve three-year terms, and 
you can serve two consecutive three-year terms before you have to rotate off and spend kind of a, at least one sabbatical year. We have a, a wonderful group of elders that God has graciously given to Wildwood. As our world is growing increasingly hostile towards Christianity, I'm so thankful that I get to serve with a group of guys like this. God has blessed us with a group of elders. We stand together as a team, as a, a multiplicity of, of elders. No, no one of us more important than the other. We're all able to share perspective and insight. And this is part of the value of a multiplicity of elders. The reason why Wildwood doesn't just have one singular leader is because of passages like 1 Peter 5.1. But there are practical advantages. There's a reason why God made a multiplicity of elders. It's because it protects us from wandering off into the weeds with one person's personal agenda or, or greed or lack of insight or whatever. I, I can think of a number of instances where God has, has provided for Wildwood through the group. One particular time I could think of about 10 years ago, Wildwood was struggling with some children's ministry space at that time. And I remember going into an elder meeting with my plan. My plan at that time was for us to buy a portable building that would have a couple of additional classrooms for, for our children's ministry. And I thought, man, that'll solve the problem. This is great. None of our children's building was here at that time. Instead of a children's building, I'm thinking of a portable. And I walked into the meeting, and I, I said, hey, this is, this is the idea. This is the plan. And we had picked one out, and we were all pretty excited about it. And I remember distinctly in that meeting, the answer being, I don't think so. The wisdom of the group. I had this much vision. They had this much vision. They said, hey, what if we built a building that could take us more than just a couple of months? It could take us a few decades together. And God used the group to, to be a blessing, to be a gracious provision to Wildwood. And that's just one example. I could give you dozens more. Part of God's grace is the giving of leaders to the church. Well, what, what is it that this group of, of elders does? Well, verse 2 tells us that the elders' primary job is to shepherd the flock of God that is among us, exercising oversight. To shepherd the flock of God among us. That, that word shepherd is, believe it or not, it's a, it's a shepherding term. It's something that was used with sheep. Somebody who's going to tend sheep uh, would spend time with them and care for them and protect them. They were called a shepherd. And that same imagery is placed within the church, that leaders in the church are to provide some, some oversight. They're to provide some protection for the body of, uh, of, of Christ that exists among them. It's interesting that Peter here calls the, the church the flock of God. He doesn't say that the church is the flock of Bruce or the flock of, of Mark or the flock of John. He says that this is the, the flock of God. It, we need to remember that. All too often we begin to, to think about our, in our world and in the places where we live in, in, in Rome that, that we are identified by, by the pastor that we like or we're identified by we're a part of that guy's church or that guy's church or our primary identity flows from whose podcasts we listen to or whose books we read. As leaders of the church, it's possible to get kind of infatuated with that and to begin to think that these are my people. These people in my ministry, they're my people. No, Peter would say, these aren't your people. These are God's people, the flock of God. 
We merely have some responsibility to care for them. What Peter reminded them of. They're to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Now, what is it that they are to exercise oversight over, these leaders of the church? I think there's at least two ways in which that plays out, two different categories of things where that plays out. I think in one sense, elders oversee uh, physical provision for the church. We, we oversee the church budget. We oversee um, the, the, those kinds of things. We oversee the, the care for people physically within our congregation to make sure those things are taken care of. We, we make sure that the, there's a facility where we can worship and places for our kids to be. We, we set aside funds so that the gospel can go forth into places like Latvia and Brazil and Nicaragua like it did this summer. We, we oversee some, some physical resources and some physical things. But also, elders have the responsibility to oversee things spiritually for people. They're to provide oversight to make sure that people are fed real spiritual food, that, that the doctrine is pure. When, when Paul met with the group of elders who led the church in Ephesus, one of the things he challenged them to in Ephesians chapter 20 was to make sure that they were protecting the people from, from wrong teaching. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul would say that one of the qualifications of an elder was that they would be able to teach. Why? Because there was an importance of keeping the doctrine pure, a spiritual care for the people, and oversight of that means that truth is taught. The Christian life really is like a relay, and, and every generation of church leaders is handed a baton of truth, and it's our job to hand it forward to the next generation without editing it or redacting it in any way. Elders and leaders of the church are to provide oversight spiritually. We're to care for people's souls, pray with them when sick, guide them when hurting. There is, these are the jobs of an elder. Now, he continues, and he's going to make some some contrasting statements, for as elders provide oversight, what are some of the things they are to do and not do. What should that oversight be characterized by as they interact with people? Well, he gives a a number of contrasts. The first thing he says is that elders are to provide leadership not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. In other words, elders of churches shouldn't be serving because their arms have been twisted. They shouldn't be serving because somebody else on the leadership team is blackmailing them into the job. They should be serving because they want to. They're willingly. I, one of the things I love about Wildwood's Elder Board, it's made up of, of 10 men. Only two of us are paid. Eight of them are, are volunteer. We could double their salary today, and it would cost us nothing. Um, they're serving willingly, not under compulsion. He goes on, though, and says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now, I think this is an interesting statement that, that uh, Peter makes here because by saying that some elders could possibly be serving for their own gain would say that there was something to be gained by being an elder. Even in the first century, some elders, especially those that taught, would, would have received some kind of compensation for their ministry. Paul would say in his letters to Timothy, he would say that some elders are worthy of double honor, indicating that there is a, a payment for their services. 
others might serve in order to gain notoriety or get high fives from their friends or to, to, to make somebody else happy. Peter writes and says, none of those are adequate reasons why someone should serve as an elder. Leadership in the church is not something that is done for shameful gain. It's not for personal reasons, but it's something that should be done eagerly with all of your energy, not for what you can get, but for how you can pour out your life, not in a lazy way, but in an active way to serve others. Edmund Hebert said this about this passage. He says, to enter the ministry simply because it offers a respectable and an intellectually stimulating way of gaining a livelihood is to prostitute that sacred work. This warning also includes the temptation to use the work of the ministry to gain personal popularity or social influence. Leaders in churches are are to lead and to serve in humility for the benefit of others and not for their own personal gain. Far too often that gets backwards. Peter writes and warns us against it. Verse 3, he says that leaders in the local church, elders, they are not to be domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. This is basically what he's saying. He says that leaders of the church, elders, they shouldn't read the Bible and then go, oh, this is a great message for so-and-so to hear. We're not to just be outside of the system offering decrees and commands, but we're to be among the people. We're to first apply the Word of God to our own lives and to follow Him. And as we do that, create an example for others to follow as well. I can tell you, as somebody that's served as an elder here for a number of years, that we have a remarkable group of leaders that, that, are, that do that on a regular basis. I can also tell you that we're an imperfect group of people. But I can tell you that the, our heart's desire is this, to follow Jesus Christ and to have His Word be the core of our lives be an example for others to follow. He goes on in verse 4, and he talks about the reward of the elder. The elders are not to serve for shameful gain. They're not to serve for, for selfish purposes. He goes on to say, though, in verse 4, that there is a reward that comes to elders. He says in verse 4, he says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. What he's saying is that elders don't serve so that we get value in this life, but that Jesus can reward us in the next. This is so consistent with what Peter has said over and over and over again in this letter. All along, he kept telling people, if you are, are, are hoping that all of the blessings of Christ will come in this life, your, your vision is just too small. You always need to be looking ahead because in this life, your faith in Christ might lead to persecution. It might even lead to physical death. But in the end, in eternity, we're able to clearly see that it is worth it to follow Christ. In the same way, Peter writes and says to church leaders, he says, it is worth it for you to follow Christ. It is worth it for you to lead in this way, not for this life, but for the next. There's a a multiplicity of views from scholars on what this crown of glory is. Some have seen it as a literal physical crown I tend to, to see it not as a literal physical crown, but, but more as a, as a statement that, that Jesus will surround those that follow him in glory. That one day when we are with 
Jesus forever, that, that the life that we pour out here can be rewarded there in deep and spiritual ways. John Calvin, writing about this hundreds of years ago, said this. He says, to prevent the faithful servant of Christ from being cast down, there is this one and only remedy, to turn his eyes to the coming of Christ. We're talking here about leadership in the church, but this applies to so many areas, doesn't it? The encouragement that we have comes not just now, but it comes then. We follow Christ in the meantime. See, Peter writes, and he wants all of us to know that in hostile lands, humble leaders are required, and God has graciously given them to the church. Now, what do we do with this? How do we begin to to apply some of this to our lives? Well, one way I think that we apply this is by using it as a, a grid by which you look for a church. Now, you all are here. I'm not inviting you to leave. I don't want you to go. We love you, and we're glad that you're here. But the reality is that, that many in this room, this is not the last church you'll ever be a part of. Uh, you're here as a college student, and you go on um, after you graduate, and you look for a church in Dallas, where every OU grad ends up at some point in their life, or, or wherever else you might end up. I mean, it is when you're in that setting, and you're looking for a new church that you might use this description as the kind of leaders that you're looking for in a church. See, all too often we look for a church and we look uh, at the church based on its location or based on its decor or based on its style, and all of us are impacted by those kinds of things. But I think one of the most important things to look for in a church is the leaders who are there, the people that you can follow. One of the things that we can do as we apply this is we can look for these kinds of leaders in the churches that we're a part of. I think another way that we can apply this, though, is we can use this as a a template for prayer. You know, anytime you teach this, I I mentioned this is a little awkward for for me to to teach, and and part of the reason why it's awkward is that I know that I imperfectly live this out. As I mentioned earlier, I I am preaching this to myself first, but I can tell you as, as a fellow elder here at Wildwood, we would covet your prayers. As a fellow staff person here at Wildwood, we would covet your prayers along these lines, that we would lead as God would have us to lead. This can be a template and a model for prayer. I think another way that we can apply this, though, is is use it as a model. If this is the kind of leaders that Jesus wants in his church, I think it also is an effective tool to think about the kind of of leader that, that Christ wants you to be in your home if you're a parent that you would be someone that is not domineering but is an example, that, that you would be you know, someone that is not just out to, to, for your own personal desires all the time, but you eagerly serve the, the needs of those around you, that you're looking forward to Christ as your reward and you don't need everybody else to affirm you every second of the day in order for you to not lose your mojo. Um, these are a picture of the kinds of leaders that that Christ has given in this life, in this hostile territory to lead us. Some of the ways in which which we apply this. And and certainly for those of us who are involved in leadership in any way, some as elders, but I think by application, leaders of of groups, uh, children's ministry leaders, student ministry leaders, college ministry leaders, 
As you exercise the gifts that God has given you, I think these are great reminders for us that we're a gracious gift that Christ has given to the church. as a humble leader in a hostile land. First thing that we see, the first four verses. But the second thing we see is this. Humility is modeled with the hope that it's mirrored. Humility is modeled with the hope that it's mirrored. Now, we see this in verse 5. And really, verse 5 is going to follow a similar pattern that Peter is, is engaged in throughout the second half of this letter. Throughout this letter, he's talked about humility as not being something that's just on one side. It's not something that's just for leaders, but it's something for all Christians. All believers of Christ are to have a humble spirit. We are to subject ourselves to the authorities that are over us. We've seen this as it relates to citizens in a society. We've seen this as it relates to workplace situations, as it relates to family situations. He's been very consistent in in calling us to be humble to lay down our lives. So after talking about leaders being humble and not serving for their own gain, but serving for the sake of others, he gets to this point in verse 5 where he says this. He says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He says there that we are to clothe ourselves in humility. The picture there is of a servant putting on an apron, getting ready for service. As a believer in Christ, as we engage in society, as we engage in church life, we ought to, the first thing we ought to do is, in a figurative way, put on an apron of, of service and say, I'm here for others, not they're, they're, they're here to, to serve me. We ought to come into church life, we ought to come into society with a perspective of, of humility with a perspective of service. And here, here's the thing, when you think about this perspective of humility, this perspective of service, that's hard to do. It's hard to do. And here, here's a, a great, I was reflecting on this this week. Uh, you know, how do you know if you're really humble? How do you know if you're humble? You know, if you say, well, I'm really humble, eh, you just kind of violate the principle, right? How do you know if you're humble? Well, and so I thought, well, how do I kind of gauge a humble meter in my own life? And, and the first thing I thought of was when I act like a servant. When I act like a servant, um, I, I kind of feel humble, you know. Um, when, when I do the dishes at night, um, I, I might think, man, I, I was really humble. I kind of took care of something today, you know. Um, or when I act like a servant, when I, when I do something in, in the life of, of somebody around me, somebody in the office, somebody in the, in the church, on my street, whatever. I, when I act like a servant, sometimes we want to think that we are, are really high in humility at those points. But here's what I've come to find out about myself. And, and maybe you can relate, maybe you can't. Um, but I don't know when I, when I think I'm acting like a servant, I, I don't know that those are my most, that that's the best metric on if I'm humble. Really, here's the best way for me to tell. When I'm treated like a servant, how do I respond? When I'm treated like a servant, how do I respond? See, here's the deal. When I, when I act like a servant, sometimes I do that just so somebody will go, hey, that's great. You know, I wash the dishes so Kimberly goes, hey, Mark, thanks for doing the dishes tonight. See, that's what I, what I want. But what happens when you do something and it goes unnoticed? How do you respond then? 
What if, what if when you do something, somebody looks at what you did as an act of service to them, and then they critique it with three ways it could have been better? How do you react then? See, I think our humility is best shown not when we act like a servant, but our, the best gauge of our humility is when we're treated like one. And yet, as believers in Christ, we have the opportunity to exhibit humility. And why do we have the opportunity to do that? We have the opportunity to do that because Jesus modeled it for us. Jesus came to this earth, and he didn't just act like a servant. He was one. And when people rejected him and reviled him and spit on him and insulted him, he kept his mouth shut. When he could have won the argument with Pilate, he didn't argue back. Why? Because he was pouring out his life as a sacrifice for you and me. And so as followers of Christ, we have the opportunity to exhibit that kind of humility because of what Jesus has done for us. It's something that leaders in the church are called to model, and it's something that the church hopefully mirrors back in response. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity to worship today. Thank you for the love that you have shown us through Christ. Thank you for the forgiveness that you offer us in him, and thank you that you have graciously given to your church leaders who follow you and, and not their own desires. Father, and we in, at Wildwood, we, we may imperfectly do that, but that is our hearts and that is our desire. And Father, I pray uh, that you would just strengthen this group of elders that we have here, that you would bless their lives for their service. And Father, that you would help us to, to, to maintain integrity following you for the rest of our days. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name.